Hey, hey, friends. Welcome to the Lens of Faith podcast. We're going to talk about an issue that is plaguing our country today, and that is human trafficking. Did you know that human trafficking isn't a third world problem? There were more than 10,000 suspected cases of human trafficking in the U.S. last year. Today, I welcome the founders of Cry Freedom Missions, Beverly Weeks and Jonathan Chavez, as we sit down and they share with us some mind-blowing revelation of the realities of being sold into slavery. Their mission is the insects trafficking through reaching, rescuing, and restoring the lives of survivors. They have a jail outreach, a rehab, safe housing. They teach life skill classes to survivors. They help them find employment, you know, case management. They provide court advocacy, you know, rescue operations. And they also have a hotel outreach. They really are all in when it comes to rescuing and helping these survivors. I want to welcome Beverly and Jonathan to the show today. Hey guys, how are you? Hello, gorgeous friend. How are you today? Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. You're good? We are doing absolutely amazing. Another aspect of Cry Freedom Missions is they have a shop where survivors actually make jewelry. You can shop on their website. I'm wearing their bangles right now. (laughs) You like them? Girl, you know I love you. (laughs) But anyways, you guys are both doing good? It's busy, that's for sure. It is. This is a busy season for us. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's busy. You know, we don't want it to be busy in your industry, right? Yeah, Yeah, we would definitely like to see ourselves worked out of a job here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be the goal. But, you know, we say, unfortunately, we're busy. But, you know, maybe part of that is, fortunately, that we're being able to um, rescue those young girls away from the traffickers and get them to a place of safety. And so... um, While it can leave you emotionally drained sometimes and exhausted, um, I would like to say I'm excited that we can be on the forefront and be actually working in the trenches to get these girls to safety. Yes, that's what matters. Yeah. Well, I've heard Beverly speak a couple times actually this year at events, and I just love her story. I love her ministry and everything that God has her doing. So I really wanted you to share with my listeners today. You know, I hit a lot of heavy topics, but I've never actually spoken about human trafficking or modern day slavery. But first off, Beverly, tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you get started? What was it that made you jump in this fight to end human trafficking? So what happened was um, roughly about, I'd say anywhere between six and 10 years ago, what I saw was there was a group of girls that were coming into the crisis pregnancy center where I worked, and they didn't have an ID on them. They would never have an ID on them, or they would come in with an older gentleman, and they'd have to kind of look to him to see, were they allowed to answer the question? And, you know, and if so, you know, it was constantly looking at him for permission to answer the question. Mm. And so those were all red flags for me. I noticed that a lot of the women's had sores on their face that indicated heavy drug use. Um, Many of them would appear malnourished or they would even come in wearing some of the same clothing that they had worn multiple times before. And so those were red flags or warning signs for me. I took one of the girls home that day. And what I saw that day, it just changed everything for me. I walked into a hotel room and this young woman was surrounded by a group of men. And it was very evident that she was being prostituted out, that something just was not right. And Jonathan, and I can't wait for you to hear his background story and how he got connected with human trafficking. But Jonathan and I had been in meetings together. So Jonathan is the COO of Craft Freedom Missions, just a powerful, powerful story that he has. And Jonathan and I had been attending a lot of meetings and people would just be talking about human trafficking and talking about, um, it was just lots of meetings, lots of muffins, lots of coffee. And I remember specifically, we were in one meeting and, and we got out and we walked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's virtually everybody's against human trafficking, right? Nobody's for slavery. Nobody's for people being sexually exploited, unless you're really, really sick and you've got some kind of perverse moral compass. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's against that. And that's something that, you know, it doesn't matter what political spectrum you are, you want, you'll rally against that and you want to be found, you know, fighting against it. So, you know, we, we would find ourselves 
you know, involved with meetings across the state in our local town. And these politicians and, and committee members, they would all talk about all the great things that they could do, but nobody was actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no place that we could put any of the young girls that we were seeing uh, that were coming through our center. And then the ones that we began to reach out as, as Cry Freedom to rescue them, uh, there was very little services available. Mm-hmm. But everybody was talking about how they wanted to participate, how they wanted to help these people, but nobody was actually doing anything. And so we had sat in one meeting after another, like she said, and finally it, it got to the place of just really breaking for us, just the, the, the frustration of everybody wants to talk and they plan things out for years and years and years. And they even will go after grants to get stuff, but they would actually provide no services mm-hmm. for the young ladies and even young men that were being trafficked. And so um, I'll never forget. Yeah, we, we threw, we threw, I threw my pencil down. And I said, listen, we, you guys can continue to talk about it. We're going to go do something about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just began to pursue the Lord to say, how do we meet the needs of these broken individuals in our society? And how do we create a path for reconciliation, for recovery, for restoration? How do we get them back to a place where they can have healthy lives, healthy families, healthy um productive lives in society? How do we get there? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's created a journey for us over the last five or six years where we have seen God do amazing things where he's provided safe houses for us. I mean, just mm-hmm. a miraculous uh, divine intervention where we were awarded almost a million dollar facility. Uh, we've seen people from volunteers to lawyer, uh, lawyers and firms that are now working pro bono with us to see justice implemented and seeing our girls uh, come to a place of even some of their records being expunged because a lot of the activity that they were involved in was the direct result of the mm-hmm. trafficker. And so, and then, and then on top of that, seeing different doctors and, and, and therapists that have come along to walk this journey out of healing with us and these young ladies that we were ministering to, uh, it's been it's been remarkable. I mean, we went from an idea just six years ago of we want to help to mm-hmm. today we're the largest provider here in North Carolina for human yeah. trafficking providers. And across the, across the nation, we're, we're receiving requests to not only help young ladies, but also requests for training, requests to go speak at national conferences, to create awareness of what really is going on. Because yeah. here in the United States, sadly, we are the number one trafficking country in the world. Wow. You know, you and I were talking Saturday night at an event that you and I were serving together and um, sharing at. And... I don't think a lot of people realize that right now, the state of North Carolina, we have the um, ninth highest reported cases of human trafficking. I think for all of your listeners that are listening, a lot of people might be thinking, hey, you know, human trafficking is something for countries, other countries, other large cities. But I want you to know that human trafficking is taking place in your own communities. And so what was the conversation between you and I was a similar conversation that I've had with a lot of people is I'm like, what is your knowledge of human trafficking? Yeah. And Beverly, you also said something Saturday night that honestly, I was just blown away because I think there's a lot of people like me who, when they think of human trafficking, they think it's a kidnapping, you know, someone snatches you off the street into a white van, you know, and that's what human trafficking is. Kind of like the movie Taken, you know, but I was literally blown away when you told me that that's only 10% of the human trafficking cases, that most of them, the majority are actually sold into slavery by family members or people they know. They're trafficked by somebody they know. And for many, you you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about the movie Taken. A, a lot of people associate. Yeah, and then you also see in the media that, you know, somebody got kidnapped or something, you know. You never hear them talk about, you know, it was somebody's uncle or somebody's friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, you never hear the reality, the truth of it, that it was actually someone they loved and trusted that set that up. And I think you have to look at you have to look at the purpose of the media. They like to sensationalize certain things. And so they want it to to have that movie type feel. There's nothing real sensational about an aunt or an uncle or a family member or a friend of the family who has who has sexually exploited a young child. Um, oftentimes we see those type of situations where there's a lot of cover up. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the case of of people that are here um, with people in the community. They, they are involved with, with individuals that they know people, maybe they're part of their extended family, 
and they could either, and I'm trying to be careful because I'm thinking of two different specific cases right now where their family members may work in the DA office or they're working the sheriff's department or work with uh, other people. And so there's a, a sweeping under the rug of activities and made to look as a lesser criminal activity than what it really is. We've, we've even seen cases that were absolutely some of the most horrific human trafficking cases you can imagine where, where girls were had machetes held to their neck, where they were injected with drugs, where they were locked in rooms and required to, to have sexual relations with at least 14 men a day. Wow, horrible. And those cases were, we, we had surveillance set up. We were working with our local and our uh, state level investigators. And, and they got, the people that got arrested, they ended up staying in jail for maybe 100 days and got out with a low level felony. And yeah. um, those are heartbreaking stories mm -hmm. because, again, it's, these are human beings that are being basically enslaved for some of the most grotesque and most inhumane situations you can possibly imagine. And, and unfortunately our legal system, you know, mm -hmm. treats it as if it's just common prostitution or. Yeah. I think it's important for the um, listeners to understand that the kidnapping piece is less than 10% of all mm -hmm. human trafficking that anywhere between 85% or more of individuals being yeah. trafficked, they are being trafficked by someone they know. You know, the very reason why I am involved in human trafficking is I met a young woman many, many, many years ago, and I'm, I'm just going to call her name Amy, and um, she was on the streets. So the first part of um, what we do, because a lot of people are like, how do you and Jonathan actually go out and get the individuals out of human trafficking. Where are you locating them? Where are you finding them? The first thing that we do every week is we go out to all the hotels that are known for prostitution. They're known for illegal activity and they're known um, for drug activity because with drug numbers, you will always find um, high, high numbers of where individuals are being trafficked. What's happening is they're having um, a lot of people in addiction are forced um, to exchange sex for drugs, mm -hmm. for a place to stay, for food, for clothing. And so they find themselves in this dangerous web where in a lot of cases, a pimp and a drug dealer end up being the same individual. Yeah. Yeah, and those are just extremely vulnerable populations. So you have you have those in addiction that are extremely vulnerable. You have those that have had child abuse, child abuse or neglect. So those kids that are maybe a part of DSS, they're in the foster care system, uh, maybe they're in group homes. The percentage of individuals that, that have come out of those situations, it's like 82%, according to the figures we got last year, of those children in foster care. Um, have been sexually exploited in some way. And I don't yeah. I don't know about you, but that's a shocking number to know that that many children are not only being abused, have come out of abusive situations in, with their biological families, but then inside of the foster care system with both adoptive families as well as foster care families, they're finding themselves very vulnerable to sexual exploitation, whether it be by those families or by people in the community. But that's what traffickers look for. They look for vulnerable people that they can take advantage of, that they can manipulate, that they can control. Mm -hmm. um, people that long for connection, that long for affirmation. They long for family. Yeah. And, and that's what we're seeing is when you have <clears throat> the breakdown of the family, you see the vulnerabilities increase dramatically. I mean, mm -hmm. you, as soon as you move, move the father out of a home, the vulnerability goes up tremendously. Then you move both parents out of the home or say you have parents that are on drugs or they're involved in other illegal activity. The, the numbers skyrocket. into the, And so, and we're seeing an epidemic in our society here in America where, where people are addicted to drugs. They're moral compass, if you will. I mean, you think about, you know, when, when you and I were growing up in school, I mean, it was nothing for us to go home and the door was unlocked and you play outside all day and sometimes into the late of the night and parents didn't worry about you in the neighborhood. Right. And, and now today in our society, and, and, and like 
60 to 70 percent of people claimed to be Christians in America at the time. And now we're seeing this huge shift in this generation where now the parents that are raising these these younger children, you know, the, they're 60 to 70 percent don't even mm-hmm. affiliate with any religion. Yeah. Right. And, and so we're seeing not only the moral compass uh, being lost, so there's no real direction. There's no definitive standard of how we're to live our lives. It's whatever you feel, whatever you want, whatever, whatever feels good to you. Uh, and unfortunately, that doesn't produce a happy life and that doesn't produce a safe environment for children. And and it opens the door for pornography. It opens the door for sexual exploitation. And those things are, you know, pornography is fueling the flames of human trafficking. So mm-hmm. like Beverly mentioned, so we go into those vulnerable places in the hotels, on the streets. Uh, then we also go into the the uh, prisons or the jails. We go into the local jails in different counties throughout the state of North Carolina to help the sheriff's department identify individuals who've been sexually exploited. And I think the shocking number for us is when we started doing jail outreach to identify people, we found out that over 90% of all the female inmates have been sexually exploited in their past. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, we have women sitting in our jails and in our prisons all across the state of North Carolina, really all across the country, who they have been sexually exploited in some way. Wow. I just think back to um, Amy that I was talking about that we met in the jail. You know, Amy has been prostituted. She was prostituted by her mother, Mm -hmm. which you don't call it prostitution because we're going to we are going to explain to your listeners today. What is the difference between prostitution and trafficking? But I want to finish Amy's story. She was trafficked by her mother since seven years old. Wow. Seven years old. I mean, she describes to me the horrific pain of being tied up and the men coming in one after the other, paying Mm -hmm. to have services with her so that her mother could meet a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And so she's one of the reasons why we do what we do. You know, her story, just meeting her, falling falling in love with her. She lost a child and being able, you know, and I remember hearing her scream and weep after the loss of her child and, you know, saying to me all my life, all I've ever wanted was just one person, like just one person who would love me and Mm -hmm. being able to tell her, you know, Amy, I know a man that before your feet ever hit the floor this morning, he thought you were the most valuable, precious person in the world. And his name is Jesus. And so we do it for the hundreds and the even the thousands of Amy's that are out there. What we saw was those women that we were coming in contact with in the hotels. They were ending up in the jails. Mm-hmm. They were ending up in the jails on drug charges, theft charges, prostitution charges, and those trafficking charges were just going misidentified. You you know, there were deeper stories here. I'll give you an example. We met this wonderful young lady who actually allows us to share her story now. She graduated from our program. But when we met Amber in the jail, she was actually in the jail on theft charges and some drug charges. She was stealing food from Walmart But Jonathan, as you begin to interview her, as your case management team came in and you begin to love on her, you found out there was a root issue of why she was stealing food in Walmart. So, you know, the traffickers wouldn't give her any food at all until she had had sexual relations with so many people. And um, I think what was so sad about her story is so many people said, well, why didn't she run? You know, that was always the question. That was my question. Initially, you're you're having these horrible things happening to you. You're not wanting to participate in it. This is not what you're wanting to do. What is keeping you, you know, you were able to get out and go to Walmart, but you went back to the house. Why? You went and stole food because you were hungry, but why would you go back? And and the, the reality was, is they knew where her children lived. Mm. her parents Mm -hmm. they had pictures of her children going to school they said if you ever do anything or you ever run then we will go and get your children we will kill them and and the sad thing was is she had already heard rumors of how they had murdered the lady that was there before and so there was they even would say hey we'll go dig up the bones and show you Mm. and so there was a very real belief and so the the coercion piece that was there of the, the the threats of violence towards her family were so real and so crippling to her that she felt she had no other option than to do exactly what they told. And so when we found her in the jail, she she was 
not the common inmate. She, when she came in, she said, listen, I don't care what you charge me with. Just don't let me go. I'll, now, how many, I'll, I'll play guilty for now how many inmates are saying, Hey, just let me stay in here. I want to stay in here. Right. You know, there's not very many that are doing that. If somebody's like, I beg of you, I beg of you, I want to stay mm-hmm. in jail. You got a problem. Yeah. They're dealing with a lot of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, so, you know, Beverly mentioned this before, but according to federal law, what separates <laughs> prostitution from human trafficking, there's basically three elements. So one of these three elements has to be involved where there is a, a commercial exchange of sex. So there has to be the force. And so that's what you were referring to with the taking, the kidnapping, the forcible rape, where you're you're taking somebody. Okay, so the force has to, one that that could be one element. So yeah, we um, get a lot of calls on our hotline saying, yeah. Hey, I saw a white van at Walmart or I saw a white <laughs> van at Target. I'm like, Hey, that could possibly be an electrician. That could possibly be a plumber. Yeah. Makes it even bad is, you know, Jonathan's our COO here and he has a fleet of vehicles out for all of us as we're driving. And I'm like, wow, you bought all white vans. I mean. <laughs> you must have really wanted to look suspicious. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about it until we were actually speaking at a, uh, a juvenile's officer's convention. So it was all the juvenile officers. And um, one of the officers told me a joke. He said, how do you, what, what kind of shoes do traffickers wear? And I, I said, I, I don't know. He said, white vans. <laughs> no, he didn't. And uh, I That's was like. That's a terrible joke. It was a terrible That's joke. That's a terrible yeah. joke. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> how do I rewind this podcast and get rid of that? <laughs> no, no. We need some humor. This is a depressing topic. Terrible joke. In but then, there. then it hit me all of a sudden. Well, then it, then it hit me all of a sudden. We're, we're driving a white van out there in the parking lot. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we've um, we've we've kind of fit the role to squeeze in there yeah. and to be undercover. So that's that first piece is the force, the force it, correct. which, again, we told you is less than 10 percent of all human trafficking. Yeah, that is something that really needs to be reiterated because, you know, a lot of people really do think it's like the movie Taken or a girl is on vacation or alone at a park and she gets kidnapped. But it makes it even more horrifying to know that it's most often from someone you love and trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to talk a little bit about coercion and fraud here. And then we're going to talk about if you're under the age of 18. But um, a lot of times, and we'll go into that too, these traffickers are building relationships with these girls, just like we're trying to build mm-hmm. relationships with them on the streets. Yeah, so- so the most common is obviously the fraud piece. It's the deception, the lie, the the belief that, hey, if I go with you or if I'm participating with the activities that you're involved in, we're going to have the dream life. We're going to have everything we ever wanted. We're going to be able to have all the money. We're going to have the acting career. We're going to be the, the model. Uh, we'll be able to just accomplish anything that we ever wanted. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're selling this lie. And we see this both here in the States, as well as overseas, of, hey, you can come and work in this area, make tons of money. Um, you'll be able to send all this money back to your family. We see this a lot with it, with um, illegal immigrants coming into yeah, the United States. Yeah, I was going to say, I believe, Jonathan, you know, you're going to see an uptick in it with all the illegal immigrants that are coming into our area. No jobs. Many of them, you know, no paperwork, no green cards. Mm-hmm. No, you're going to see an uptick. And I know some of them, Beverly, these young women that are coming, like, say, across the border from Mexico or Texas or something, a lot of them, in order to even get to come over, they they have to have sex or they're getting raped. Oh, yeah. By oh. older men on the trains. Like, I've heard hor- horrific stories of 12 year olds on the trains and they're getting raped by older men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the trains, yeah. but they just want to be free. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just go through a lot to even get over here. Right. They're being yeah. Yeah, abused. 100 percent. I am telling you, it is taking place. Yeah. You- you recall it was it was big in the news probably I think it was during Trump's about his during his second uh, year where they were talking about these children being separated from families and they were talking about these 12,000 children that were in these camps and what you did not hear in the news was of the 12,000 children 10,000 had been identified as trafficking victims wow 10,000 of the 12,000 so when you when you understand the dynamic of what we were dealing with at the border not only was it horrible, horrible situations, but then the fact that these children were not with their family units in the first place, or if they were, their, tra- their family units were exploiting them. 
It's like, no, yes, those children needed to be separated from the ones that were violating them. I mean, this was, they had to be removed in those situations. And, um, and so we, we were seeing, like she mentioned, just an epidemic of young people today um, being um, lied to, deceived in believing that they are having this great relationship with this individual. And traffickers have become very smart. Mm -hmm. They will, they will spend time courting an individual, especially young people online through gaming systems, through social media. And once they create that dialogue, it's never, hey, I'm just talking to you and then tomorrow I'm going to ask you to come come be with me. No, they will spend usually six to seven months in a conversation building this relationship. They call that grooming. Yes. And they, they take that time before they ever make the ask, hey, meet me somewhere. Hey, let's get out of here. Hey, let's do something. Let's and so they build that trust with that individual. And these are master manipulators. I mean, they are not only are they lying and deceiving, but then they begin to coerce these these young people. Hey, you know, your family really doesn't love you. I do. You know, they they're really against you. They they hate you. If that type of coercion doesn't work, then there's there's other forms of coercion. If you don't come here, then there's begins to be those threats. Yeah. And it's taken up to another level and another level and another level. And this is so true because unfortunately, this kind of hits home for me. Um, my niece in California, she's the most innocent. You know, she was, I, I think, 13 when this happened a couple years ago. And she's just super innocent, you know, girl. And what happened is somebody found her. She had a cell phone at the time. And an older person, you know, man found her on, I think, Instagram or Snapchat or one of those platforms, started grooming her, you know, started building that relationship. You know, next thing you know, you know, send me a picture of you and your bra. You know, he was sending pictures. And this is the grace of God, because this could have been my own niece. And she comes from a very a good home. This is not like, yeah. you know, she's not into drugs. She's not anything like that. She comes from a good family. And her stepmom actually ended up looking at her phone and saw all these messages. So that was the grace of God. And uh, got irate, you know, called the police and the police came to my sister's house, you know, and said, you know, what was happening and told my sister, it was just a matter of days before he told her to meet her at a local park and you would have never seen her ever again. Yeah, yeah. Like God just intersected that right before yeah. because she's so innocent. This guy was grooming her, you know, and you don't know, you know, you think you can trust adults and all these things. Yeah. And there's a park down the street that she could have walked to, you know, and that would have been it. We would have never seen her ever again. So since then, she's never had a phone, but, you know, like they're very protective. But, you know, that could have been my own niece. And it wasn't because, you know, she was in a shelter or anything like that. I mean, she she's in a good family. Yeah, we had a, we had a similar story right here in, in our area where a young 13 year old girl, she was playing Fortnite every night on this gaming system, mm-hmm. created this relationship she thought was another 14 year old boy. Um, so she ended up having playing with him every night on this gaming system, talking to him. They exchanged numbers. She was messaging him. He was messaging her one day, you know five, six months into this conversation, he said, Hey, where do you stay at? I'm not, I'm in your area with my family. I want to come by and see you or, or let's go, let's go get some ice cream or something. And, and thankfully her mom walked in the room at two 30 in the morning where a grown man from New York was crawling through this girl's window. Wow. There to rape her daughter. And, um, Chills. <laughs> and so yeah. she had just got up to use the bathroom. And, um, and so, you know, those are very real things that are taking place. I think that's why it's so important that we are so aware of what our children are doing. Yeah. The the platforms, you know, I I really don't think social media is any place for children. And Jonathan, I just did a podcast episode on this because, you know, the devil's after our children and he's using technology to get to them, you know, and these young preteens, these teenagers, they need to not even have cell phones without any adult supervision. I have a pastor friend who's a mom and she's a really big advocate for this, you know, and she went on words with friends, which is supposed to be like Scrabble, you know, the most innocent game. Right. And she created an account pretending that she was a 15 year old just to see what would happen. So she created an account. And within that very same day, she already had two predators try to solicit her. And this was words with friends. Yeah. Yeah. 
So imagine what they're doing on, you know, TikTok and Snapchat and all these other apps. That's right. <laughs> you know, and parents are just handing cell phones to their kids which is the gateway for pedophiles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, parents really need to wake up before it's too late. Yeah, I think since the onset of COVID, we have actually seen an uptick in human trafficking. What happened, there were so many kids at home, they were unchaperoned, um, unprotected. There was no un, um, supervision. no supervision, no accountability, and which allowed for the opportunity for traffickers, again, to get on these platforms and start Mm -hmm. grooming our children. And so we actually saw an uptick, you know, in numbers of of human trafficking. So I would encourage parents to be very involved. Who are your children talking to on their gaming systems at night? Because you are essentially allowing those people into your homes. That's right. Into your home. Right. And I don't know if you've heard of apps out there that try to prevent this, like Bark. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah. So I actually use Bark for my um, teenage daughter. Um, yes, I'm a very involved parent. And what I like about Bark is it also reveals to you any deleted emails they have. So if they want to delete social media um, conversations or delete emails, um, it will actually retrieve those for you. I think the app I pay like uh, anywhere between $9.99 and $19.99, would, depending on the features that you get. But that's really good. And then, you know, parents, if you're really stretched for your budget and you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm really stretched for money. I don't even know where my kids are, though. Try Life 360. You know, Life 360, if you have that on your phones, that could at least pinpoint where your kids' um, locations are. Continuing with the federal law, what law says about um, human trafficking, I also want to clarify that law also states that anyone under the age of 18 that's exchanging sex for anything, say I'm exchanging sex for tennis shoes, for food to eat, my grandmama is taking care of all of us because my mom and dad are in jail and I'm going to sleep with the landlord so that grandmama doesn't have to pay the rent or she gets to... Law says um, that force, fraud, or coercion does not even have to be involved. Yeah, so those elements are not even... They don't have to be present for a minor. So for instance, I want all of you that are listening or watching this to understand that there are no prostitutes under the age of 18. It is automatically human trafficking. Any individual that you, you know, any any child actor in a pornography film under the age of 18, that is automatically, it's human trafficking. That's right. And that's not according to Beverly's law mm-hmm. or Jonathan's law, but that is actually according to our federal law yeah, on I, human trafficking. And I think, I think the thing that's really scary you know, to mention the uptick that we've seen with young people is the level of sexual exploitation that's taking online because that is a form of human trafficking uh, through your pornography videos, through child porn. We're seeing, I mean, we're seeing that in the news even now with the stuff that's happening with through your pornography. You know, Leah, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry right now. That's crazy. Just a very extremely lucrative business. Let me put it to you this way. You can sell a bag of drugs one time, but you can sell a young girl over and over and over again. Like if we're driving down I-95, Jonathan and I are in a car together and he has a bag of drugs and he's on highway, a major interstate, and he gets pulled over and he has drugs in the back of his car. Leah, what's going to happen to him? He'll be arrested. In most cases, he's going to be arrested, right? If he's driving down the highway, Leah, and he has a beautiful young woman like you in the back seat of the car, and he gets pulled over, in most cases, Leah, what's going to happen? They're going to just think that it's his girlfriend or family member. Yeah. 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 And, and again, because there's so much, there's so much manipulation and coercion and, and, and threats against them, the, the, the sad thing is, is they, the statistics are that 95% of most human trafficking victims do not even identify as victims, because they are, they have come to believe this is their lot in life. This is what they deserve. This is how they're supposed to do things because the traffickers have so brainwashed them to believe this is just what they do. Yeah. And the normalization of the sexualization of our children. I mean, in our society, we see the evidence of that across the board. Yeah, right. And I was going to tell you earlier when you were talking about, you know, the effects of porn 
just even like, you know, five, 10 years ago, there wasn't perversion displayed like there is now. You know, even in cartoons, right? Even in children's shows, you know, innocent games, the devil is just getting in any way he can to indoctrinate the children and to normalize perversion. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we're getting to a point in society, in our culture, where pedophiles might not even have consequences. Right. So, you know, this is a deep root issue on why human trafficking, you know, still exists or why they're so lenient when it comes to it. It's because look at our society and what they're accepting now. You know, you can just openly worship Satan and it's okay. Yeah. There's really been a great shift in our country. It's obvious we're facing a moral and spiritual decline. Yeah. And you saw that. You saw that not only here in the United States of America. One of the things that really um, brought me to a place of understanding uh, or becoming aware of human trafficking, I was actually, I was speaking in Peru at a leadership conference. I was there in Lima. I was staying in a nice five-star hotel. I was there with uh, 500 other leaders throughout the country. They'd come to the capital, and we were spending the week there with them, encouraging them, praying with them, speaking on them, on talking about leadership aspects of their ministries and the different positions that they hold in the country. But uh, when I walked into my hotel room and closed the door, on the back of the door, this was in 2008, um, on the back of the door was, a, was a, a circle with an infant in the middle with a dash through it, and underneath it said, no sex with infants allowed. What? That was my reaction. It was like, oh my God. Is that a thing? That, that was exactly what I said. I turned. I mean, how is that even possible? That's what I said. I turned. I mean, that was verbatim. I'm so visual. I can't even go there. Your response was identical to mine. I literally turned to the guy that was with me and I said, is that a thing? I can't believe that this is going on. And um, I just remember being so grieved that that was even something that was wow. a desire of another human being. Like, even when I hear that stuff goes on with animals, you know, I, I just like, is that a thing? I mean, I just can't go there mentally. I mean, I'd have nightmares. I know. Yeah. I, it is disgusting as it sounds. It's straight up demonic. It is. And demonic as it sounds. I have girls that have been in our safe house that have said, look, when you're brain is fried and altered with drugs, you'll do anything. You'll do anything. And so, you know, I, I left the country. I was grieved by that. But, you know, when, once something's out of sight, it's out of mind. You know, I grieved over it in the moment. I prayed, oh, Lord, you know, help. But I, I just kind of associated with maybe something just went really wrong here in this country. And this is something that's really twisted and messed up. And I just pray for people's freedom and deliverance and for protection over these children. And, uh, but I moved on, you know, you kind of say those pat prayers and, and you allow the, the grief and the brokenness that the Lord presents to kind of ebb and flow away. And we release that burden, you know, when we're, it's not in front of you. And um, I was, it was probably uh, six, seven weeks later, I was in Tokyo doing another conference. And um, I, I remember just, this was another hotel. It was not the same hotel chain. I closed the door in that hotel and the exact same sign was sitting there. And I was like, oh, my God, we have something huge. And the gentleman I was with, um, we'd worked together in the Philippines and uh, we just began to weep. I mean, it uncontrollably just grieved over what was going on. And, um, and we were very aware in the Philippines that we were seeing individuals being trafficked, uh, especially young children being exploited. Uh, there was just a ton of, um, of, of kids that were living on the streets that were abandoned by families. Um, the demographics of the country um, in the early 2000s was 85% of the whole country was 25 years old and younger. And so it, it was just the realization that this was taking place. And, um, and so we started an organization called Hope for All Children that would deal with the young girls that were being trafficked. And so our safe house is for girls 15 and younger. And I think currently right now, I think we have um, two girls that came in that were pregnant that were 10 years old just this year. Wow. And so the there is, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how many we have currently right now, because I know we had two more that just came in, but we were building a, another children's home with 32 new beds just to accommodate all the issues that they were seeing there in the Philippines. But you know, the the the, the sad reality is that, you know, sin never stops at that first initial place of desire. It, it always pushes the envelope 
and it's for the purpose to totally destroy humanity. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right. And he recognizes the quickest way to kill and destroy and steal society from having a healthy community, from having a healthy society, from having health, is to destroy the makeup of the family. And if they can destroy that makeup of a father and a mother in a home, raising children, uh, in the love and admonition of the Lord, then you can quickly see, you know, a society crumble at its very roots. It doesn't matter, you know, laws are important, yes. Who's in, who's in charge is important, yes. It has a bearing on that. But when the majorities of people are living un, in unhealthy relationships and they're raising children in environments where they are, it's being normalized for, you know, the type of sexual activity that we're seeing run rampant across the internet. And we're seeing, you know, on, on these gaming devices and seeing in, in pornography films and seeing through all these human trafficking cases that mm-hmm. we're seeing, this is the direct result of a society that's crumbling right and and sin unchecked unrestrained just running rampant in mm-hmm. our society and, and and so now more than mm-hmm. ever we have to be bold and declare the answer and it's the gospel it's mm-hmm. it's that Jesus is the solution because this it's, it's not it's not just broken people it's broken hearts that can only be mended through the reconciliation that comes when you come to the Lord and he forgives and cleanses and restores and renews. That's the only place that we're going to see anything change. And uh, and sadly for us, so many people in the human trafficking world want all the services that we provide except any element of faith present. They, they want to restrain your voice to share the gospel in any capacity, to, to be in a community of believers in any, any way, that they view that as an obstacle or a hindrance for the healing of these girls. When that's the only answer. That is the only answer. Mm-hmm. I, I remember yeah. just, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I remember I had this conversation <laughs> with one of I our- I knew what he was going to say, Leah. I'm going to let him say it. This one of our state representatives um, in the human trafficking area, they were part of a commission here and um, they came and did a visit with us. And she was talking about that, hey, you know, I really love what you're doing here, here, and here. But I just think you really need to be careful on how you're sharing your faith with them. And um, and I'm like, I was bewildered because this lady even called herself a Christian. I said, well, how could I, knowing the truth, that the answer to the most broken things on the inside of her is found in the Lord? Amen. How could I refuse to tell her that truth? I would be worse than the trafficker. To, to have the very solution. That's exactly what the traffickers doing. They know what could set these girls free, but yet yeah. they're keeping that freedom from them. I would be just the same as a trafficker if I was keeping that freedom and that healing and that help that is so abundant from the Lord mm-hmm. from them. Well, you know, Jonathan, everybody's a Christian until it's biblical. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Leah, without heart change, there is no life change. There is no life change. So true. Beverly, I wanted to ask you, what is one of the most impactful rescue stories that you can share with us today? Uh, I think one of the most impactful stories for me was a young woman that we rescued out of sex trafficking several years ago, and her name was Ashley. And Ashley was so down into um, satanic worship, drug activity, just everything was destroying her life. She had not seen her daughter in eight years, eight years, no contact with her daughter. And Ashley um, came through our program. Um, She graduated from the program. Um, She also was involved in one of our sister organizations, True Justice International. And through that, God redeemed Ashley. He saved her during this time and she was reunited with her daughter. And so that was just an impactful, there's so much more to Ashley's story. Maybe you'll have me back on another podcast. So there's so much more to her story, but just that piece, I saw how God redeemed and restored, not only just Ashley, but how he's working. And I believe he's continuing to work and to move into that family. That's amazing. God is so good. 
Well, we're about to wrap up and it's been amazing having you both on today. I mean, my mind has been blown. <laughs> this conversation has just marked me. I mean, but I want you to tell everybody, how can they get a hold of Cry Freedom Missions? How can they help in this effort to end human trafficking? I'm grateful that you allow Jonathan and I to come on today. I need to tell you guys, it is so critical that you get on board with us because it takes a village. It does. It, it, it does take a village. The first thing, every single one of you watching and listening, I want to encourage you. When you get off of this program today, don't just sit in your car and say, sigh and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do nothing. The first thing I want you to do is go to your computer and look up cryfreedommissions.com. That's cryfreedommissions with an S on it.com. I want you to find out about the work that we're doing in the jails, in the hotels, on the streets, the people that we're rescuing. Right now, we have some critical needs. Leah, we need more beds in our safe house. We need to add more girls. And so those of you listening, I'm just crazy enough to believe, Leah, that a government official telling me you're not going to qualify for a grant because we don't want you to talk about Jesus. We don't want you to talk about faith. I'm just crazy enough to believe that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. And when he gives you a dream and a vision, yes. he will give you the provision. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that somebody somewhere someday, and they're saying, I want to be a part of what Crawford Emissions is doing. And I'm going to sow a seed so that they can build a new wing or so that they can add more services so that they can rescue more girls. Because Leah, just because you don't go out with me in the middle of the night at two o'clock to rescue a girl out of sex trafficking or even face a gun of a um, pimp or a drug dealer, because how many of you know he's not always happy when you're taking away his livelihood? Just because you who are listening or you are watching and you don't go out at 2.30 in the morning, when you're sowing a seed, you're still a part of that mission. Mm -hmm. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that when we get to heaven, Young girls or young guys are going to run up to people and they're going to say, I am the life that was saved. Mm -hmm. I am the life that was changed mm -hmm. because you sowed a seed, That's right. whether it's a $5 seed, a $10 seed, you may be listening and you can even sow a $50,000 seed. You know, God, he, he, he will show you, but we need you to get involved. Go to cryfreedomissions.com, check it out. Also, you, you can volunteer. Crawford Emissions, our desire is to have offices, you know, all across the country to be international for every large major U.S. city to have an office. How can you get on board? Do you have rental property? Do you have areas where we can bring teams in and serve? Proverbs 31, 8 says, speak up. Amen. Speak up for those who cannot speak themselves. We have families. We both have children. We have spouses. We have, you know, why would you do it? Why would you go out and leave the safety of your own home, your, your mm -hmm. own children in the middle of the night to rescue a young girl or a young you know, guy? I, I think it's, I think it's simple. I think, you know, Jesus made it so very clear when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Yes. And, um, and this is, these are not just the least, this is someone in son. This is someone's daughter. This is someone's granddaughter or grandson. And if if we don't go, who goes? Mm -hmm. If we don't reach out, who who does? And and I believe the Lord has placed this burden. I don't believe everybody's called to do what we do. I, I know that the Lord has called people to do different things. Mm -hmm. And I honor that. And, and the world needs your particular, unique, special gifting and calling for you to fulfill those roles. But for us, we have felt that burning passion mm -hmm. that we could not ignore what we've already seen. And we have to go mm -hmm. into those areas and see these young ladies, these young boys rescued and saved and their lives turned around. And we mm -hmm. have just that crazy hope-filled faith yeah. that no matter where they've been or what's happened to them, mm -hmm. the Lord can restore them and change their life forever. Yeah. And Jonathan, I was thinking when you were talking earlier about how things need to change, it's not just helping with human trafficking, but we need to get godly leaders in government and fearless preachers behind the pulpit. You know, let's just be honest. You know, churches are not talking about this. Pastors are not talking about this. Leaders are not talking about this. We rarely hear about it in the media. You know, lawmakers are not addressing this. And I believe that that is where the foundation lies as far as not having this happen anymore. Mm -hmm. So Leo, 
all your listeners, all your viewers, we're going to vote for you for president. (laughs) (laughs) I actually always wanted to be a judge, but I think I'm too young right now. Uh -uh. We've enjoyed our time with you. Leah, you are precious. You know, I've met you multiple times. Just making such an impact for the gospel all across the country. We're so proud of you. I definitely have seen anointing upon you. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that you are called, gifted, anointed, and handpicked by God for such a time as this. So Leah, you keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much for those life-giving words. I feel the same about both of you. I'm so proud of you doing this heavy work for the kingdom. And I know that God is well pleased with you both. If we can serve you, if Jonathan and I can serve any of you watching or listening, please feel free to reach out to us by craftfordemissions.com or we have a hotline number and you guys can get us at any time. It's 919-988-9262. That's 919-988-9262. We're so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. We're so very grateful. Oh, no, thank you. Would you end us in prayer? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, Father, we just are so very grateful that you love us, that you see everything that concerns us, and you have not only a way of escape when the enemy brings temptation or trouble along the way, but you also have a plan for our lives. And so you have provision, you have things set up for us, you have purpose for our lives. And I pray for every person that's listening here Mm -hmm. that you would make them so aware of the divine purpose that's over their life, that they would be awakened to the reality of how deeply you love them, how much you care for them, the calling that's on their lives to impact others, and that you long to walk with them to see other people's lives transformed, for them to be set free and rescued and brought into a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. And so I just pray, Father, for just the the Holy Spirit to just brew over them, just like he did over creation as God was speaking life over the earth. Mm -hmm. And and as the words of life they've heard even today over this podcast, may those words just permeate their their being. May May it be injected into their thought process. May it cause them to stop and have conversations with heaven to say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? And that that place would be an open invitation for you to move in and through their lives. And so we just thank you for blessing them, empowering them, inspiring them, encouraging them to be world changers, to to be those that would stand in their generation and refuse to let the giants uh, cause us to cower back in fear. But they would be like David, who would say, no, not, not on my watch. And I just pray, Father, for that that courage and boldness to rise up in each one of them, to stand tall, to stand strong, and to stand with the Lord and declaring his greatness in the earth, and that they would see great things take place. So I bless them, and I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you, Leah. Love you guys. Thank you so much. We love you. Appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye. Make sure to subscribe to get all the blog and podcast updates at leahmariecarson.com. Follow on Instagram at The Lens of Faith. And be sure to subscribe to The Lens of Faith podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Remember, friends, life becomes clearer when you focus through the lens of faith. Talk to you soon. Bye.